0: J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget?
2: Hello everybody, it's Izzy here. Um, so this week we are releasing one of our Patreon interview episodes to the main feed because we loved this conversation so much and also because you have all heard us speak and quote this smart cookie of a woman multiple times on the pod. It is none other than That Hayley Girl, aka writer, podcaster, and the Maybe Baby newsletter founder Hayley Numan. We have both been across Haley's work for years, since she was managing and features editor at Man Repeller in New York City, and obviously in true chaotic AWD fashion, this conversation spans everything from being an editor at the helm of one of the world's biggest new media companies, to Rat Girl Summer and everything in between. Enjoy! And for an hour and a half long tequila filled Met Gala Red Carpet Debrief and a bunch of other interview episodes that we haven't released publicly, such as the likes of Evan Ross Katz and another amazing writer that we both love, uh, Anne Helen Peterson, who wrote that piece on millennial burnout, head to our Patreon where this week's new episode is live now. That's patreon.com afterworkdrinks. <laughs>
0: Hello? Hello. I
2: can hear you now. Loving the pink here.
0: Yes. Oh, very thank good. you so much.
2: So it's nice to meet you. It's nice to meet you too. Thanks, Thanks for, you for having me on. on. Yeah, we, as I said in my email, we speak about you quite a bit because <laughs> your thoughts are always, you kind of get out what I have in my pea brain very eloquently. <laughs> what brought on the pink here? I just, I want to know about it.
1: Oh, you know, it's so funny because somebody, I have like a, a depository for questions for my advice column. And one of my questions I got yesterday was like, does anybody ever dye their hair in extreme color if they're not going through an emotional crisis secretly? And I, was like, <laughs> I was like, clearly this is a targeted question. Um, I don't feel like I'm going through a crisis. I mean, we'll see in time when I look back, but mm-hmm. I just kind of wanted to, maybe it was like a... I recently cut all my hair off too. And I think my hair had grown really long and scraggly like over the course of the pandemic. I think there's definitely like an element of turning a new page, like trying to do something fun. It's about to be spring. And I'm trying to like put the air behind me. I, it's really not that serious. I just like, I've always wanted to try pink hair and it's really fun actually. So how is New York? Um... I'm looking at my window and it's very sunny, which is promising. I feel like usually we have to wait so long for spring to come, but I feel I feel like we've been gifted blessed with kind of a normal transition into spring. Or at least, I mean, I don't really know. I'm not from New York, but I it feels better than it typically does. But otherwise, I mean, I don't know. New York is good. It's kind of back in like back in biz in a lot of ways. I feel like mm. The big change I think like my friends and I have been talking about lately is that people like aren't wearing masks inside anymore, or like a lot of people aren't, which just feels like a huge cultural shift. Like it's starting to feel like the way it was like the, like what New York kind of looked like obviously before the pandemic. Um, not that it's been totally shut down. I mean, like all last summer and everything it was like vibrant, but the indoor masks have prevailed and they're
0: finally going away, it seems. We just did a segment on the podcast yesterday about the rise of the feral girl spring. Have you heard about this? <laughs> no. What is that? I want it's to know. It's basically right now. like instead of the energy going into spring and summer being like living my best life, TikTok it girl, getting up early and having matcha and going to Pilates. It's like feral being hung over till 2 p.m., raccoon eyes, <laughs> acting like a beast and being proud of it. So and is that, that that's definitely
2: that... the vibe shifts. Yeah, yeah. Instead of that girl, it's being rat girl. <laughs> <laughs> I fully support this as a rat I apologist. Do.
1: I do like the idea of generally going feral. I think like that's been a theme really of my, of my podcast lately too, of just like being tired of the, of politeness and, and, Being a good girl.
2: Mm -hmm. Um, Sorry to use the phrase good girl. Good girl. (laughs) I use that a lot. I like my, what was it? My therapist or something. Someone was talking about thoughts like with depression stuff, which we'll probably no doubt talk about later. But I was like, they said to name thoughts which I think you've written about and kind of or and give like negative thoughts a name and then when you have positive thoughts to like reaffirm yourself and my first thing that I the first thing I thought was good girl and then I was like there's (laughs) something wrong with you if you're just going you're a good girl all the time (laughs) yeah so you're not from New York which you just said where yeah. did you grow up and how did you land in that city? My cat is being crazy. He's like, He's literally the co co-host of the pod. He's trying to get his stupid tail. <laughs> oh my God.
1: Wait, my cat doesn't do that. That's so cute. <laughs> I am from California, the Bay Area. I'm not sure how familiar you are with California. I grew up in Mountain View, which is like the town where Google was eventually founded when I was like, I guess in my early teens, Um, but there's, that's kind of the only claim to fame. I mean, Mountain View is a pretty, just a pretty standard, like California suburb, but I I went to school in California and then I moved to San Francisco after that. And I lived there for a few years and then, or maybe five years. And then I moved to New York and I've been in New York for like six years. So that's maybe kind of a boring way to approach my past with answering that question. Just the (laughs) five places
0: I've lived, (laughs) but (laughs) That was the first thing that came to mind. <laughs> and you kind of landed in New York. I don't know if you started working at Man Repeller straight away, but like whatever the timeline was, it seems from the outside, like you were there at this moment that it was exploding. And it was like this kind of new media thing where everyone was obsessed with like all the editors that worked there. And there was this kind of shift in how, I don't know, like, the perception of these new media companies that were really being legitimized at that time i was just wondering if you felt like you were in the middle of something while you were there or like is it just looking back now how do you feel about it hmm
1: it's hard to to like differentiate between how intense everything felt for me personally mm. um and how intense like the actual like media climate was at that time um but I do remember feeling really excited. I mean, I yeah, I think I joined Manapeller in twenty sixteen, March twenty sixteen, and up to that point, it to me, it had felt like a kind of a small blog project that was just like a little bigger than a blog at that point. So I feel like over the like course of the four years I worked there, it really blew up into like a media company. And yeah, I think this is like the rise of the influencer, or like maybe not the rise of the influencer, but like the um, cementing of the influencer as like a cultural figure that people were focused on. Um, So obviously like working at like a fashion media company where there was like name recognition of the editors and like we had Instagram presences that that like sort of mirrored the content that we were writing about. Like that yeah, I think there was this like unusual like symbiosis between like our work and like our personalities and like our social media profiles it definitely felt overwhelming. Like it was really fun until it wasn't, (laughs) which is the, I guess how everything is. But yeah, I mean, the other factor that I think made that time feel intense is that about six months into my time at Manor Trump won the presidential election in America. And I think like probably the biggest shift I felt over the course of my time there was just like how the media was processing like politics. Like what before... Like when I first started working there, like the, the things we wrote about were so fluffy. And like that was kind of the point of Mandrapeller. But there as time as time went on, there was like this push and pull between the audience and the founders and the like editors between like how, what our role was supposed to be. If you think of like the term influencer like if you think of the term influencer, like what it actually means, which is like somebody whose ideas people are taking. And then you take like the crazy political climate. There was like this tension of like, well, should the influencers be talking about like politics? Or like, are they thought leaders? I feel like that like, should is Man Repeller a thought leader? Yeah, that was, I think like the, basically like the, the, the narrative arc of my time there was like just sorting through that time. I mean also media was just an an insane place like the pivot to video and like social media and all of that was just yeah I mean I think maybe to answer your question it feels even more intense looking back Mm -hmm. uh but it felt intense at the time too because
0: there was no like blueprint like everyone was just figuring out everything as it happened like you almost had no one else to look to or no like historical thing to reference to make sense of anything it was just dealing with shit as it happened it's kind of crazy
1: yeah i mean it was i mean there's always like i think i wanted Manner Player to like be this like alt blog um but that was sort of intention of like what it needed to be uh, as like a media property like made money this is also the time where, like a lot of like the really interesting alt publications were folding mm-hmm. um like a lot of media conglomerates were forming uh yeah. I mean, on top of that, like I had worked at like an HR before, like at a much bigger company in San Francisco where like people always like signed greetings on their emails. <laughs> you know, I'd be like, hello, X. And like, thank you, X. And then I got to mandatory and it was just like chaos, the most chaotic emails of my life. Like no punctuation, no grammar. <laughs> um, just like everything sent from iPhone in a panic. Um, <laughs> it's funny. Like even like Leandra's email to me, like offering me the job was like, clearly written, like slapdash. It had said like sent from iPhone. It had like no details. And it was sent like three weeks after like the last email she sent to me. And I was like, what? There's just (laughs) a funny like taste of like what I was getting into. And at the time I remember being like, this is so crazy. Like, oh, it's so informal. Like I didn't even know what I was getting into at that, at that point.
2: (laughs) So how did you go from, from HR to, to man repeller? I studied business
1: or just like, for fear of boring. Anyway, I studied yeah. business in college, which is just, wasn't the right choice at all, but you know, it's my path. <laughs> um, and then I just sort of worked in the kind of the tech sector, um, in kind of like HRE office management jobs. I settled on HR for like three years, but kind of those first five years out of school, I was very torn between like I guess what I considered like the safe path or the stable path using my degree. um, I was even with like an an ex and like in a city that was close to home and things like that. So I think I just got to, when I started kind of resisting the safe path, it did take me years to like figure out what the alternative was. (laughs) Um, I didn't know that I wanted to be a writer. It's more like in hindsight that I'm like, oh, of course, you know, I've always written, but I didn't have any sort of certainty about my path. So I had tried a million things and like, really the mandatory thing was like a shock to me. I, when I heard that they were looking for somebody um, I had emailed just trying to be like, I will do anything. Like, you know, I was willing to take like a huge pay cut, like be an intern, just like do anything, move to New York, start over with my career just so that I could do something different. So when I sent a bunch of writing samples just to like prove that I was, I don't know, like a person that would fit in, (laughs) she, I mean, I don't know if I actually thought I would fit in, but you know, doing a sales pitch uh, she asked if I wanted to like try out being a junior editor for a while. And I remember just being like, what? (laughs) Like completely shocked. Um, It felt like a huge turning point to like have movement on this like alternative idea I had that was so unformed for so long. So very fearfully and anxiously, I like quit my job, like broke my lease, moved across the country for a job. I didn't know if it was going to turn into a real job, but luckily it did. After a month, they offered me a full-time role. And that was just like where my, my whole life like drastically changed.
2: It was very fun and like very scary, but. That's so interesting. I mean, I kind of did similar. I like moved overseas for a two week. It was a two week, uh, free dance, they needed a freelancer at Harper's Bazaar, Australia, which is where I met Grace for two weeks okay. in Sydney. And I like pretended I lived in the country, but I lived in a different country in New Zealand. And I was like, okay. That's so funny. Yeah. And, and if it, it I first was, that, she was like, I like, do you know it- where
0: to get a bed? And I was like, what you like? Do you know where I get like a bed to sleep on? <laughs> <I was> like, <laughs> that's yeah.
1: amazing. Wait, so um, you both, do you both live in London now?
2: No, we both yeah. live in London. Yeah. So yeah, and we what met-
1: do you do do you, what do you do for? Sorry, I don't know more about your no.
0: worlds. No, what okay. do you do for work, like other than the podcast? Um, we're, so we're journalists as well. This is kind of like okay. something we wanted to talk to you about because we worked in like traditional fashion mags in Australia, and then of course I'm remembering everything London. now. Yeah, no, that's yes. cool. And then we have pod as well, of course. But yeah, we basically right, right, right.
2: we like met at Harper's Bazaar and then became very good friends, and then I moved to Murray Claire and uh, headed up the digital team there. And Grace was like the fashion features director of Al and Bazaar. And then we basically were like on similar parts, but, uh, and best friends, but at different media. And then, so we like created this podcast to kind of be a middle ground. And then it just like really resonated with people back home. And it kind of just, it started off as like, we were in Chinatown and went to this random studio and we had absolute, we just got drunk and we recorded it recorded a draft episode and then just ended up releasing it and then it's since then has like just grown to have this really lovely audience and we've now like moved to London and we still do it and we're freelance now
1: that's amazing how long have you been doing the
2: podcast for like three years now I think it's crazy huh Well, wow, so yeah. it was kind of
1: right before the pandemic or maybe like a year before
2: yeah okay. It was, um, yeah, exactly. And it was, yeah, it was just something it's kind I guess we want to like chat to you later about like Substack and just going freelance and leaving media, but
1: yeah, yeah it yeah. was
2: one of those things where it just ended up working out. Like, I don't think we ever even thought of this as being part of our no. job or I still don't. I still think of myself as like a journalist that just has this podcast. <laughs> yeah, totally. I mean, I can't, I mean,
1: I think a lot of the best creative projects start that way it's just like a genuine desire to make it and not a desire to like make money off of it
0: yeah yeah because if you did you would just overthink it like we think now we would probably change like everything about we would change (laughs) the name we would change the music we would change the definitely our initial profile picture was like quite illegal (laughs) it's like so glamorous and random (laughs) we were just like oh my we god were like, we look so hot in this picture that we just like made it a our thumbnail and then like one day we both woke up and we're like this is so random this like doesn't embody us <laughs> no we all. tried to
2: like quit the podcast because of the photo <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's so funny i mean you could change the music though that's definitely still an option right that
2: is true that is true. i changed and my yet, music and yet that's we have yeah we, um, underst- I, yeah. we don't we understand. I don't understand how to find music or like, <laughs> yeah. you know, basically we'll we'll find new music and then within two weeks, hate it.
1: Yeah. I yeah. mean, that's natural. Yeah. 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 I definitely went um, through that with maybe, maybe like, um, like sort of creating it for something totally different and then like being sort of stuck with all my early decisions. Although I actually don't feel that stuck with my early decisions. I eventually just changed almost
2: everything, but yeah. yeah so how was that transition for you like did you so when you left man repeller were you always gonna go freelance were you always thinking about the substack did you expect it to kind of take off in the way that it did no not
1: at all i mean i said i left i quit man repeller like in like late january i think and we like set a random end date of march 11th which just happened to coincide with like basically when everything shut down. This is 2020. Um, I had all these lofty dreams about like being a freelance writer. Um, I really didn't have like a solid plan though. It was just like an idea of like the general editors I was in touch with and how to pitch as somebody who had like, I was an editor. So I I was, I felt pretty equipped to like pitch and like work with editors, like having been on the other side of it. So I had like some confidences and some like just sort of trusting that I'd figure it out. Um, But yeah, I mean, as you both may probably already know, uh, the freelance world was just like not happening at that point, like nobody on the whole internet was talking about anything about the pandemic, freelance budgets were slashed, like a lot of people were being laid off in media because um, the stock market crashed, et cetera. So um, I was just sort of like in a weird limbo and I I wasn't sure what to do. I think I had like, I think I started my, my newsletter, like maybe three weeks after my last day at Mandarpeller. which is so funny because I, I remember at that time being like, I've waited too long doing nothing. Like I have to do something. <laughs> and I'm like, that was three weeks. Like I'm so <laughs> impatient. Um, but anyway, I started the newsletter. I kind of had planned to do a newsletter just to be like, oh, you know, here's where I wrote, like look check out my writing at these other places that I've done. Um, And then I thought kind of since I was, since the like pandemic was such a like crazy experience, I ended up kind of wanting to write about like what was happening for me. Um, Just like almost in like a journaling way, like catharsis. So I I started the newsletter and made it a little more like personal than I'd originally planned. Um, But truly, I mean, it was supposed to just be like a little blog project. Um, I only started considering like making it, um, you know, like a more... Like like charging people really until I got like after I got a bunch of people signing up fairly quickly. Like I, I think that I remember I got, you know, like ten thousand subscribers, I think in the first um you know, couple weeks and my and Substack somebody at Substack like emailed me being like, Who are you? Like, wow, like <laughs> like, <laughs> like uh yeah. Like basically like, who are you? Um, you've like got a lot of follow- like subscribers, like really quickly. We're like here to support you. Like they were really pushing me to like commit, you know what I mean? So mm-hmm. I was like right off the bat, I was like starting to consider it a little bit in the back of my mind, but I don't think I launched a paid component until July, like late July. So I'd been doing it for about like three or four months, um, before I like tried to make it into a moneymaker, maker. But then yeah since then I mean my subscribers have just like kept growing and it's like a f- definitely a full time full time job for me now. It kind of like happened slow but like now it's it's very much my full time job and like it's it's I'm like I'm really happy with it honestly. Like I think that there's there's downsides to it and everything like that but I feel mostly like I got incredibly lucky. It's like not an opportunity that I think a lot of writers have which is like to kind of be financially secure and like get to be creative at the same time. Like I feel like sometimes those are
2: not happening. Uh,
1: yeah. At
2: the same time. That kind of um, speaks to that thing of like that topic of conversation of like journalists as brands. And I feel like obviously one of the, one of the reasons that you could take off so quickly is because of the brand that was built around you with man repeller and how people knew your name and things like that. And I just feel like it's, such an interesting concept because it's kind of inescapable now if you want to survive, especially being freelance. Um, And I like love what you wrote about that newsletter you wrote about when you were an influencer and kind of just reckoning with that side of things. And I just, I don't even know what the question is here, but I find this topic very
1: interesting. Yeah. I mean, that was like a huge conflict for me in general. Like when I left I mean, I started like influencing. And by that, I use that term to mean, when I use it with like, in a capital I, I mean, like taking money from brands mm-hmm. um, to sell your followers, tell, sell your the attention of your followers to brands. Um, I did that here and there because I wanted, I needed to like make more money. I mean, wanted, needed, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, Man wasn't paying it too much and like it really helped supplement my income there. I never really wanted to do it for any other reason than money. Uh, so my thought was always like if I could make enough money, I would definitely leave or like never do this again. Uh, that was kind of my goal really with like leaving Manorpeller. I wanted to kind of disentangle myself from really from writing like fawning over like what I felt were like morally or ethically questionable industries and just like being able to be more critical. Um, that wasn't something I felt like I could do at Manipuller. It also wasn't really the tone. Like, and I totally understood that I, I liked the tone when I first joined. I just felt like as I developed, I was interested in something else.
2: It basically <laughs> speaks to like the other thing we were going to talk about, which is your, a newsletter you wrote, which was very mind blowing. Like quite a lot of them is the one the first one of this year what I'm telling myself mm-hmm. and you spoke about the real self versus the ideal self. And I think this like really speaks to this influencing thing, plus journalists having to be kind of juggle being brands um, and just how, what did you say? You said a philosopher talks about how the gap between your real self and your ideal self is like the, how wide that gap is kind of speaks to like how mentally well you feel and mm-hmm. I think that we, you said, you said this actually, but um, that when you're online, it's kind of impossible to be your real self. It's literally impossible to be your real self. So then you're just yeah. moving further and further away from it. And I think that what makes it hard is that our jobs, especially, and like a lot of people's jobs, even just like my, I was talking to my partner about it the other day who works in music and he was like, it's the same for musicians. Like it's the same for all creatives. Now you have to have this kind of online presence that is just not even you and I was just wondering like how you've dealt with it.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean I'm still kind of grappling with that. I think I've really removed myself from kind of the churn of of Instagram and Twitter like as a I mean I look at them, but I don't really post to them as often I've been actually like on Instagram a little more lately, but, I feel like my, I I feel like I'm in such an anomalous situation where because I have people like locked into my writing via my newsletter, I feel less pressure to keep up Mm. appearances on social media. I mean, the risk with that, of course, is that like I will further like silo myself into like people who want to read my writing and kind of like nobody else, which I don't think is healthy. So I'm trying to figure out like what that balance is, honestly. Like I don't really, I, I sometimes feel like guilty for not doing more basically like self-promotion um like it's just everybody dreads it so I'm not acting like above other people who do it better than me but um I just like find myself like very tired by like taking interviews and I mean not not this interview (laughs) I was very sold by your email. No, I just mean like, I just don't do this stuff very often and, and not even like in a mysterious or interesting way, just in almost like a lazy way. I just feel like I resist it. I drag my feet. So um, sometimes I I think like recently I've been trying to like remember what it was like to just like be on Instagram, like before I felt like it was so connected with my work. And if anything, that's like kind of what I'm trying to use it as if I ever do. Um, mm-hmm. that's what I don't think any of them are very, they're not as separated as like, I'd ever like them to be, but they're not healthy anyway. So, um, yes. yeah. I mean, the question is like, I don't know if this is like an interesting or like a, re- this might be a non sequitur, but I've been thinking about something I read in an interview with Toni Morrison recently. And she said that, Like the interviewer, I think it was like a Paris Review interview or something from a long time ago, but they asked Toni Morrison if she ever reads her work out loud when she's like as part of her process. Um, And Toni Morrison said that she doesn't ever read her work out loud until the very end because she's really worried that like a really charismatic or good performance of the work will convince her that it's like better than it is.
2: (laughs) That's interesting. Um,
1: And I've been thinking about that a lot with, like, personal brands. And I think, like, one of my fears is always, like, that – Oh, one of my fears in general with, like, work becoming so tangled up with with personal branding and, like, social media is that, like, it obscures the work and it, like, makes the work better or worse than it might otherwise be, like, in a vacuum. Mm. I think about this a lot with, like, when I read older stuff. Like, I've been reading – mary mccarthy's like collection of essays memories of the catholic girlhood and it's just like their writing is like not like anything i've read from modern day like even close it's yeah, just like, i read that last year that's funny
0: yeah really it's amazing i found it like an old Oxfam for like two pounds and read it and i was just like so blown away by it it's amazing oh my god weren't you okay i'm happy to hear that because
1: i'm not done with it yet but I'm really blown away. And I don't even know if this is a fair comparison because there's so many great, great writers out there. But I just thinking now, like what passes for like a really popular, like personal essay collection is just like so inferior quality wise to some stuff that like we saw back in the day that I worry that because this has gotten so muddled and like what is quality and what isn't like we've, because we've included so many other factors, you know, like someone's like public appeal and things like that, that we're kind of we're just getting I mean it's an obvious point but like we're getting away from I think like what makes art or work as interesting as it could possibly be.
0: I was just gonna say like I was trying to write something about this after Joan Didion died but I couldn't get the words out properly but I was even thinking that with her even though she is obviously an incredible writer there was like this millennial personal brand of Joan Didion that almost like elevated her work again her work is is so important and amazing but like it's kind of interesting to me as well how even writers of that generation you did have people that almost adopted that early idea of personal branding and I watched the like PBS documentary on Hemingway and he was like very invested in his personal brand as being like macho and like a bullfighter and he kind of branded himself in interviews almost the way we think of it today and I think it's it is that's actually a thing that's existed for a really long time, but like now it's just on crack. Yeah. And then it, that, that is the thing that it, that's like, I always
2: kind of fight with my boyfriend about this. Cause he's, he's just like the work should, should speak. Like the really good work should speak for itself. And I'm like, it should, but I feel like today it just, it just like doesn't because everyone else is like screaming and, and like, if you don't start, if you don't like scream with them, I don't know. It all just feels like this yeah, muddled thing where everyone's the work is less good because also we're like so focused on these other things that distract from the work, like promoting the work or like being a personality or like, I don't know, but it's, it feels kind of unavoidable, which is the, the horrible stressful thing. Like, I'm just like, I would rather never go on Instagram. Like I don't like if I, on Instagram, I like, that doesn't even feel like me or, and then I'm like, why would you want to do so, something that's a shittier version of yourself? Or I don't know, but just like a flattened version of yourself always. But then yeah. it's feels, it feels like actually crucial to work. And every time I try to say, no, it's not just not do it. Just have a website. That's it. It's like new opportunities will come up and that person has gone through like Instagram. <laughs> it's just like, God.
1: I know. I mean, I feel like I don't know. I think I feel like I got lucky in, in that, like I feel like I developed a following before I was cynical about it.
2: Yeah, <laughs> like yeah it, was, yeah, it was like the uh, key I, time.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I think at the time I wasn't really worried about. I feel like I just took my work less seriously in general, and I think I got to a point. I'm especially especially where I remember feeling a little embarrassed when people would like say how genius my like when people would say like really fonding like sweet comments which honestly like meant a lot to me as well they also like made me feel weird and i think looking back it was like a suspicion that like it wasn't as good as people were sometimes saying it was and mm-hmm. that was because people were like maybe sold on me or sold on man repeller um and i mean we were all young and like <laughs> I don't know. I laugh thinking now about like things we thought were really insightful where I'm now I'm like, duh, like you weren't the first person to come up with the idea that like friendship breakups can be sad too, or like whatever, (laughs) like people are always like reinventing as like, it's funny to just watch like 27 year olds, like come up with these ideas that like seem so fresh to them. And to me, I remember being 27 thinking they were fresh and then like having a stage to like write about how I'd come up with this idea. And then like, it's very cringy, but anyway, I mean, like looking back, I think I was very I became worried that I wasn't going to become like a better or more interesting writer um, in that environment. And I think that that was like part of why I like stepped back, I think, from Instagram in general. And also like on a more egotistical sense, I like wanted respect from like people who had like some power in the like media world, which I've since evolved away from being desperate for. But at the time that seemed really important to me like Mm
2: -hmm.
1: being published at like big important papers and having like you know household name editors well i'm not sure if there's any editors who are household names but um you know big big media people like know who i was like that seemed really important to me but now I, i feel a little bit differently now i care more about like just being able to make a living yeah. Right. Mm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like that's the dream I think for, or I think that should be the dream for any like c- creative is like to be able to do your work and like make a living versus like be famous and successful, which I, uh, you know, it's just a crap shoot and also might be miserable, et cetera.
0: <laughs> and then like romanticization of freelance writing is so crazy too. Cause I know that Izzy and I both, when we started freelancing, you had this I uh, like Carrie Bradshaw ideal of like writing a couple of pieces a week and getting paid or whatever. And then I remember my first newspaper commission, it was like 160 Australian dollars, which I think is like 110 US dollars. And it took me like four days to do, and it was oh like, exhausting and all these interviews. And I was like, Oh, I'm literally not gonna be able to make a living doing this. I need to have like all this other random shit that I do as well at the same yeah. time.
1: I think about that all the time, like. I mean, I'm writing one piece a week, basically. Right. Like for my newsletter, I do. I mean, I also do like a recommendations newsletter and like a podcast, but in terms of writing, writing, I'm like writing one essay. And I'm just like, if I were just writing that essay, like what would I be getting paid? Like at a generous pace, like 500 bucks. Yeah. Like at a very
2: generous place. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's what I got it. Like from the cut, I think when I wrote a piece in the early pandemic and I was like, Okay, so $500 a week. (laughs) Yeah. And I can't live on that in New York. Like, I don't know how, I mean, nobody does freelance freelance writing full time. Um, Yeah. That's why newsletter, I mean, like, if you can get a newsletter with the following, it's like a cheat code, but I don't think it's actually a scalable solution. Obviously, like, there's so many writers, really amazing writers who deserve way bigger audiences than they have. So, I mean, that's when we get back to the, like, annoying social media thing.
0: Yeah. So Izzy, like, loved, we both loved, but Izzy, I think, discovered you through your Amrata essay.
2: Well, I I Um, I read you on Man Repeller, but as in, yeah, yeah, that was like like when I subscribed to your Substack, which I think probably would have been when you got, like, a crazy amount. It went quite viral, right? Yeah, I mean,
1: for me, um, (laughs) it's definitely my most popular newsletter. It definitely, like, made the Twitter rounds, like, in my feed, but, you know, I don't know how many people... I guess I could look up how many people read it, but um, mm. definitely my most popular newsletter. And I get why <laughs> she's obviously such a like divisive figure, but um, I know you asked in email if I'd read her book and I sadly haven't, which I don't know if that makes this conversation less interesting. Did
0: you both read it? I actually interviewed her about it. And Ooh. I feel like similar. I think we, Izzy and I have both talked a lot about feeling similarly, but we feel very split or just kind of confused, which I kind of wrote quite honestly in the piece, even though I interviewed her about how I struggled with a lot of her assertions, but then I couldn't fully like, she she's like bothersome because you you want to like turn your back on what she's saying, but there are these like elements of like truth or interesting aspects to what she's arguing that do feel like worth discussing. And I also think that she... I think that her thinking has like developed a lot but then that also seems almost like what we touched on earlier like the bar of where she's expected to push her critical thinking is so much lower because people know the book will sell so it was almost this frustration of like interesting thoughts and topics that felt like they just needed to be like um, unraveled more and she just wasn't pushed I guess is like the best way to describe it. When I read her book I felt
2: because in her book she criticized herself basically and her younger self and also like the things she was saying about feminism she really reassessed but then I was like and then I just can't and then I don't know if I'm just being this like jealous anti-feminist person because then I like can't I just can't I don't know I'm like I, I just can't still with her like she'll say and you then someone I know I can't get out my thoughts today but then even like I don't even like I think I don't like Hadley Freeman at all and then she just put this thing on Twitter being like the was it that her and she was like the Emily Ratajkowski yeah. who wrote this book and the Emily Ratajkowski who I see on my Instagram feed are two separate people and I was like that's so horrible to say but why do I sometime somehow resonate with that <laughs>
1: I wonder if sometimes people feel put off by her or confused because it, it there's a sense of like wanting it both ways. Yeah, um, which is just like a classic thing that irks people, and like also we all do that, right? Like, mm. you know, we want to like critique consumerism and like consume, and I think that like people have a pretty good radar for like hypocrisy. Which, I mean, hypocrisy is also such an interesting topic in general because. Of, of course, like pointing out wrong, like doing wrongdoing yourself doesn't like make your accusations of someone else's wrongdoing like invalid.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so for her to like, she's allowed to like participate in a culture that sh- and like profit off of a culture that she's critiquing. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's going to be an element of hypocrisy, right. And it's like, I think it's a little bit choosing the sides that work for her. Like, a more individual feminism for her to like seek out empowerment through like, you know, selling herself, you know, contributing to these broader issues she's critiquing so that she can like basically get her peace and also wanting to critique it. And yeah, I mean, I think that's just naturally gonna like be provocative and bother people. I still, I, I to be honest, I don't have like a super updated, ver- uh, like take on Emily Radikowski. I like purposely didn't read her book. People have reached out to me, wanted me to write about her more. Paper wanted me to interview her. I just was mm-hmm. like, nah. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't really want to like I I didn't really want to be on the M Rada beat to be honest. Yeah. Um I I kind of used her honestly to make a different point. I don't think that my issue is like, I don't think that like the future like bends on her figurehood. I think that she's just like a really interesting example of like where I think sometimes feminism is like gets lost in the in the sauce, so to speak.
2: Yeah, exactly. Um, and and then it has been very interesting because the feminist conversation, like as even listening to your voice note about how and where the exact same when we started this podcast, we would talk so much about. We were just very earnest and thought we could like make a change, and then you know it was like Brett, Brett Kavanaugh was getting put
0: in, and we we're like, "This is sexist," and like really <laughs> passionate about
2: quite, it. It's it quite like what you were saying about Man Repeller. Like that's a similar vein. How you look back now, and you're like, "Oh, I don't know." We just, but then I'm, but then so now we won't really talk. I think we had that we were like a feminist podcast in our like byline or something, and I'll, and now mm-hmm. we wouldn't even overtly talk about. Feminism, but then you, you were saying in your recent voice note, your podcast, how that just feels—that anti woke cool girl kind of thing. Everyone wants to be like, but it's just so reductive to like anything.
1: Yeah, I mean, I really relate to like being drawn to the like anti woke cool girl, mm. cool girl stance because I find so much mainstream feminism discourse to be very like disheartening and corny, honestly, and like naive and embarrassing um <laughs> but I think that there's a like I, I always come back to like what I find like inspiring and I know that's like a corny a, a corny word but um I think there's a reason that like certain people who have a kind of um a kind of like a an ironic affect that's like really working hard to like be rebellious Sometimes I don't find them like particularly inspiring, even though I'm like drawn to their kind of like anti-establishment vibe. Um, and mm-hmm. I think that like what I really appreciated, I think you might be thinking of the, um, I can't remember, is the bunch of pieces in the drift, but um, it was like a series about like what's going on with feminism and they talked about um, how like both the kind of girl boss feminist and the like anti-woke cool girl feminist are kind of, both of them are, neither of them are are in conversation with like actual radical feminism. And like most feminist discourse is like not even remotely radical. And it's like been, there's just been this big project to basically like corporatize it and make it like, and boil it down to like basically like representation and things like that when obviously like the, the biggest issues in feminism are like crises that are happening to like poor people mostly um Mm. and and anyway so yeah I think like I'm interested in like seeing where I mean obviously I'd like to be play play some part in it but like I'm interested in like a feminism that feels like more connected with like other like radical politics and not like an aesthetic brand um which it sounds like maybe the like process you both are going through too, but mm. wanting, I think this is like why actually Emily Radikowski is such a, I don't think she's a very inspiring figure actually. I think that she's, um, I guess I mean inspiring in terms of like, this is the future for women. Mm. You know what I mean? Maybe that's what I'm looking for and that's why what she leaves me wanting in terms of like being a feminist thought leader, which is like the solutions that she's used to like get her power back, like don't don't really scale. Um, and they required her to be like very hurt at first and to like sell herself and her image. Um, anyway, anyway, so I'm getting
2: kind of like lost in my own thought here. Well, it's but... all like, it's all just like individualism. And I know you've yeah. read Mark sure and people like that, but it's like the girl boss, the anti-work girl boss, like Imrata, everyone's just worried about their own interests. And that's why I find that's what I find very depressing about the state of affairs in everything currently. Like, I just feel like everyone is just even just more so after the pandemic, like it all just feels very, very individual. Like I feel like we kind of woke up to individualism or whatever and capitalism. And then everyone was like, okay. And just carried on doing their own. I don't know. It all just feels a bit like sad at the moment. (laughs)
1: Yeah, like I almost think it feels like disjointed or like I've been thinking a lot about the concept of just like rule following and um, like this idea that there's the right way to like say something, the right way to think, the right way to be. um, And sometimes they feel like divorced from like a broader ideal or a deeper ideological framework that like connects like the feminist plight with like other, other plights and like, you know, class and like, you know, even like geopolitical, like, 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 I'm just sounding like I'm just spewing random words, but i mean, like, literally (laughs) like, like a holistic view of like, what is what we're in pursuit of. And sometimes I feel like we've gotten so like, um, seg, like not segmented is maybe not the word I'm looking for, but like, everything's just become like rules and like, they're all kind of random. And I think that like, it doesn't always ladder back to like, a coherent worldview, and I just thought maybe this is like this maybe a more optimistic way to think about it is like I don't think that that will really last. It just won't. There's no there's no like meat to it. You know what I mean? So I feel like eventually we need to like actually like cohere around a common goal, <laughs> as like corny as that sounds. And so I've like I'm in search of that more like collective approach that feels like more interconnected and like not just sort of like I don't know everyone's just such a cop now you know what I mean (laughs) it's like yeah it's like me against you like who can be the best person of all time it's just like this isn't really about that's not how you change anything in my opinion it's like
2: Mm -hmm. not that I'm
0: scared as well like everyone's so scared of being like wrong that the best way to prove your right is like to catch someone out before you're caught out or something it's like this yeah, very yeah. childish psychological thing that's happening mm. i was just
1: reading this old like wesley mm. morris piece for the times i just put it in my recommendation newsletter but um it's like this old piece about it's from 2018 actually and he's like he's saying some of the same things that i think a lot of these like really annoying like centrists who are like whining about cancel culture are actually saying as well and it just i thought it was interesting that like there's a lot of like liberals who want to push back against these like anti-cancel culture people like the people who are anti-censorship and you know what i'm talking about like that whole discourse that's happening right now the culture wars mm-hmm. to like. and wesley morris was saying that like back in the day there's like always been this push and pull between like young people and old people but usually it was like the young people saying provocative wild mm-hmm. things like no rules and like the old people be like trying to ins- like instill like a sense of order and like propriety um and it's interesting that like that's like flipped in some ways <laughs> and like young people are trying to like a lot of art has been kind of like closed in around like making sure that you are moral and like following the rules which of course will change because like we're not in our final form so i just think it's like a weird approach to art and like deciding like what voices are interesting or worth considering and i think like even though i don't agree with basically anything these like anti-censorship people are whining about or sorry anything that they say um and the way they say it and the reasons they're saying it i actually agree with a lot of the ideas about like discourse just feeling really like
2: stifled and boring right now Mm. yeah yeah
0: Yeah, i agree um Okay, I feel like we need to let you go because we've been talking to you for so long. But We need to finish with the most important question, Izzy, okay. which is what how do we it, say your is- surname? Oh, yeah. <laughs> because we <laughs> keep Haley saying girl. we don't know how to say it and then we so start calling yeah. you that Haley girl, which is a very endearing term. It's lovingly said. Uh, yeah, yeah, we- and,
2: and like the most loving of ways. I'm always like blah, blah, blah. And then I'm like, I'm now quoting that Haley girl and everyone on the pod <laughs> just knows who I'm talking about. But yes, I'm honestly honored to be that Haley girl, but it's Namin. Namin. Um, I'm
1: Haley still going to say
0: it was pretty easy to figure out. Now we're G- I- G- I- no G- hearing it. Like how it's phonetically spelled.
1: Yeah, it's <laughs> yeah. Kind of how it's phonetically spelled. <laughs> yeah. I feel like I was like on a too much of a like boring soapbox. No, no
0: way that was awesome I, we would keep talking to you for like three hours but you're, no yeah mind. you're so interesting love your I, time.
2: I'm, I'm a fan girl but I love reading your newsletter and I find that yeah the way you write about things like even just depression is the way you explained that was kind of the first time I realized I don't know it's like I've been seeing a psychologist for so long and I knew I had depression but the way you explain yours I was like god that's how I feel too but you're you always just feel like if you're high functioning with it that it's like that you're fine or something, and then just reading yeah. your newsletter where you were like, "Mind manifest with me, doing X, Y, Z, and still getting out of bed and still doing all of this and that." And like, I don't know, I just find a lot of what you say very interesting. So thank you, thank you so and the much, silly much. Things for as reading. well. <laughs> no, I really, really appreciate it. It's
1: like so easy to forget. You know, people are reading, and it's always nice to be reminded. So I'm, I'm, I'm happy to be here. I'm so glad that we talked.
2: Yay. And um, I hope that that was, interesting. <laughs> it was um, how, interesting. It was. It was interesting for us, but also like our listeners, we always think shit about like work or, or how we got our jobs or like things about media it is so boring because it's so boring to like us personally to talk about it. Yeah. But that's all we get asked. Oh,
1: like, that's interesting. Okay, well, good. I'm glad we covered it then. I feel like a little bit like bad in that I feel like I'm such a strange case. I don't know. It's always, it's always annoying when people who like, I'm not saying I have no skill, but like people like who also got lucky are like talking, uh, like, you know, using their platform to talk about like how, wow, they did it. And I'm just like, I don't know, man, I'm so, I feel lucky. I feel like there's, we need to better solutions to media, like funding, writing and stuff. That's not just like mm. relying on people, like kind of
2: finding an audience like I did. Um, yeah so yeah i think yeah i know what you mean yeah i know what you mean and it's like that thing where we do need to bring back i think i think even speaking about this sort of stuff makes you feel kind of more pushed to do things because it's like we but you know even when we were like we launched this website and we were like really profiling young new writers and like paying them and doing all of the stuff that's just like stopped because Everyone, like, you know what I mean? Like, everyone's like yeah, yeah. kind of gotten just, that like yeah. depressed state of really like, exhausted. Yeah. what is the fucking point? And then now it's like, good chatting to you, and just I'm just like, I just want to start. I feel like we're kind of getting to the end, hopefully, of this like red scarish vibe. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> but like, I also, yeah. I, I, I like want to bring back like the the public respectful <laughs> debate. You know what I mean? Yes. Like people who like respect each other and are kind of spicy and, like, friends at the end of it, but, like, are coming, like, I was just thinking, I mean, not to launch on something else, I just was reading this, like, it was a debate between, like, Susan Sontag and some other, like, feminist writer at the time, and they literally just, like, debated back and forth in, like, The New Yorker, like, just writing letters to each other, like, like, being super, like, critical of the other, and at the end, they're just, like, friends, and you're, like, That would just never happen today. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You know, like either the good guy or the bad guy. and I just think that like it leads to, it, it just leads to a very boring conversation.
0: So, yeah, that's what we always try to say on the podcast. It's like you're, you shouldn't be scared to engage in the opposite point of view because it will either reinforce what you think and make you better at arguing it, you know, like there's no downside to it really, or it'll make you feel like realize there's flaws in it. And that's like good to becoming a bit of human. It's like, yeah. So boring. I mean, I guess the downside is like being crucified by the public. Yeah. 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 (laughs) I mean, yeah. Nowadays, terrible. I mean, I know
1: that's overstated. Like I just sound so dramatic. Um, I think there's actually more room to say things than people act like there is, but it's scary. And like, you do have to like develop a very thick skin and yeah, it's not
2: easy, but yeah we get one negative review and we're like we're canceling the fucking podcast fuck you! we're like you
0: fucking bitches you're so (laughs) mean
2: oh my god and people
1: really know how to like leave a mean you know it's not just like this is bad it's like they'll really get the
2: like they'll say the one thing that you know is like the most hurtful yeah (laughs) Yeah, when they signal one of us out i'm like are you guys are you the fucking i don't feel like they've done that they've someone did it to me once but i can't remember what they said (laughs) they said one specific thing that i do that like they hated, and I was like, "Right, well, that's it. Once cancelled, <laughs> goodbye." Out of the window. <laughs>
0: oh um, my god,
1: it's so it feels so bad. It's so surprisingly bad, actually.
0: Yeah, we've always said we're like, you literally are not allowed to leave a review on this. You put your full name and address, but no, like your full name, because we're like, we have to come like out here and we have to put our name to our opinions, and we're held accountable if they're stupid. And it's like you need to follow by the same rules because it's not fair. <laughs> You know what I did? They're like, so like,
2: they're like one star. These girls are trying to enforce reviews about how I fucking leave a review. <laughs> <laughs> you
1: um. know what I did actually to, to like combat that, the kind of imbalance of like exposure was um, I turned off comments on my newsletters And I have like a feedback form. So I'm like, if you, if you're like mad about something, if you have criticism for me, you have to like go to a First of all, you have to go to a forum, which even just like having an extra step, I feel like Mm -hmm. it like asks them to just like really think about like whether it's worth it
0: yeah, (laughs) like
1: or whether it's just like done in anger versus like a real piece of feedback. And then they have to say like, they don't have to say full name, they have to say their name, their age, like where they're from. Like if they're a long time reader or a new reader. And they have to like go through all this, and before they can like leave their feedback. So I feel like it's sort of like
0: <laughs> that's a great idea. Yeah, they're that's just like I want that a little easy. bit of detail. Yeah, and some like, because
2: they're lazy. But yeah, love that. Exactly. Okay. Yeah, it works. You go. But, okay. Um, thank you again, Haley. It was so nice to <laughs> meet you. Thank you.
1: Thank you so much for having me. It was really lovely to meet you. Um, I'm excited okay. to start listening to your podcast.
0: Ooh. Yay! Have means... a good rat girl summer. Sorry, yeah. <laughs> you too. Go, go feral. Spring. Yeah, we're <laughs> gonna go feral tonight. <laughs> okay, bye. Okay, bye. bye. bye.